Our Heavenly Father, the psalmist, said that this world is the Lord's and everything in it. And we believe that to be true. So this lunchtime, as we look at those verses from Genesis together, we pray that you would speak to us of how you are working in and through your people, whoever we are, wherever we are, and that we would learn in trust and obedience to follow you in what you have given us to do. I ask it now in Jesus' name. Amen. A story ran in one of those novelty newspaper clippings a few months back. It reported that a group of tourists had been visiting a volcanic canyon in Iceland on a tour bus. A woman from among the group had gone missing, so a search party formed in an effort to track her down. As it turned out, the woman had separated from the group only temporarily and had changed her clothes. The report ends this way. The search was called off at about 3 a.m., when it became clear the missing woman was in fact accounted for and searching for herself. Now, I like that story because it has a happy ending and goodness knows we need some of those nowadays. But I also like that story because it illustrates what it is like to be searching and yearning for something that has been right in front of you all along. In fact, to be looking for something that you are already a part of, only you may not know it. Many of us are searching for or yearning for a sense of purpose in the world. What am I here for? What ought I to be doing? What is God's plan for my life? Those are some big questions, and they're far too big for us to try to answer today. But I'm confident that the Bible does give us some broad principles that take us a long way towards answering some of those big questions. And like that woman who was part of a search party looking, it turns out, for herself, all too often we can be searching for some meaning or significance to our lives and not notice that God is already in our activities, using us for his good and his glory. That's what we're going to be digging into today and over these next seven weeks at the lunchtime service. Our particular focus is work and the workplace. We're thinking of God in the workplace. What is God's plan for us in our work? What might God be doing in us and through us by our work? How might we see our work as part of our discipleship and worship? Over these next several weeks, we'll be looking at various characters from the Bible to see how they applied truths about God to the working context he placed them in. And today we begin right at the beginning of the whole story in Genesis chapter 1. Our characters today are Adam and Eve, but we actually meet a worker before even they arrive on the scene. There are two points I want to draw out, two lessons from this passage. Uh, The first is this. We work because of God's character. We work because of God's character. A glance down for a moment to uh, the very first line of Genesis chapter 1. It reads, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, those are 10 fairly short words in the English language, but of all the sentences ever written, it must be one of the most pregnant with meaning. Just think for a second of all the things you learn in those 10 words. You learn that there was a beginning to time as we know it, that there was a God who was before the beginning, that there's an ordering to the heavens and the earth, that God made both the heavens and the earth. And therefore, by implication, 
that God stands in authority over the heavens and the earth and that he has power over the heavens and the earth. But what's easy to miss or to overlook in that short sentence is that one of the very first things we learn about God in the Bible is that he is a worker. The first ethic in the Bible is a work ethic. God is a creative. He doesn't sit back distantly and drift eternally, twiddling his thumbs, imagining what worlds might be like. No, the God of the Bible is a hands-on God. He's a hands-dirty God. The Christian writer Eugene Peterson puts it this way, in the beginning, God went to work. There's something in the nature and the character of God that he is a working God. So if you start right at the beginning of the Bible, a few words in, you're presented with the ultimate worker and his great work project. And if you look a little bit more closely, you'll see that this is the first workplace team. This is God, Father, Son, and Spirit affecting his creation through collaboration. You see the Spirit of God in verse 2. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And then like a drumbeat through the chapter, God speaks and by his word, things come into being. And God said, and it was so. And God said, and it was so. The church father Irenaeus put it well when he said that the son and the spirit were the gloves that the father used in the formation of the world. The spirit is a breath of God, the bringer of life. A theologian speak of creation emanating from the triune God as an overflow of the eternal love that exists within the Godhead by the Holy Spirit. And the Son is not just the word of God audibly, but also the master craftsman physically. Jesus himself was a carpenter in his earthly life. John writes of him, through him all things were made, without him nothing was made that has been made, John 1, 3. Or the Apostle Paul writes, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together, Colossians 1, 15-17. The implication is that Jesus is Lord, and he stands over everything that he's made. It means that there's no corner of our lives, no aspect of it that shouldn't have him at its center. Or to put it another way, it won't do to imagine that Jesus is for Sunday only, rather for Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And there's another implication too. We see it in the culmination of all this creative work of God where we pick up our passage for today. Genesis 1, 26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image and our likeness so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created the male and female. He created them. Men and women are created to be the image of God. We bear his likeness in the world. We act as a kind of a mirror, reflecting something of who he is through who we are. That's seen in many different ways here, not least in terms of teamwork and relationships. But for our purposes today, I want us to see that a key aspect of being made in God's image is that we take on his work ethic. 
He's an authority over everything he's made, but he delegates downwards to us some responsibility for stewarding his creation. He's a working kind of God, and because we're made in his image, we are to be working kinds of people. We work because of God's character. And if that's the foundation of God in the workplace, I want to look briefly at the second of our two points and then to think about how we might respond. Our second point is this. We work because of God's commission. We work because of God's commission. Let me read on verses 28 to 31. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it, they will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food and it was so God saw all that he had made and it was very good and there was evening and there was morning the sixth day here is God having created humankind placing them in the garden of Eden and setting them to work he doesn't tell them to put their feet up and pass the time in a constant state of leisure he commissions them to work he gives them a job description And there are two tasks in particular here. One is to rule over God's creation. The other is to fill it. Or you might say, one is to do the gardening. The other is to make babies. Let's say a word about each of those. A ruling over God's creation is not meant to be a domineering or exploitative position. The ruling here is not in the form of a tyrant who's given permission to use and abuse the earth's resources. Rather, It means a stewardship, a right management of the world in which we live. It means to work with God's creation in order to pursue his priorities for it, that the world might flourish and God might be glorified. God uses human labor to bring blessing to the world. Martin Luther said that to pray, give us today our daily bread, is a prayer for the growth of grain and its harvesting and its milling and mixing and kneading and baking and so on. He said, God milks the cows through the vocation of the milkmaid. The God who made the world out of nothing and brought order out of chaos has commissioned human beings to work with the resources of creation to continue to bring order and provision and flourishing. So we ought to ask the question, how am I fulfilling the commission in the responsibilities and relationships that I've been given. For many of us, we may find that we have been serving God in ways that we never knew. And likewise, filling God's creation needs a word of clarification. It must involve increase in number through childbirth, I'm sure, but it isn't limited to that. There's a sense of scattering as well, of of bringing more of God's creation under the active stewardship of his appointed rulers. You get a sense in these verses in Genesis that God's creation is wound up like a spring. It's good, it's perfect, but it's packed with potential. Throughout the creation account in Genesis 1, we're told again and again that God saw that it was good, but then in verse 31, once humankind has been created and commissioned, God saw all that he had made and it was very good. It's not that something was lacking, in what God had made, but amazingly, that we're tasked with pursuing its potential. 
And so you don't need to be a farmer in order to fulfill this commission. You don't need to be a parent either. God's vision for our work is much bigger than that. Mark Green puts it this way as he describes a biblical view of work. He, God, sends us out in his name with his authority to seek to do good work in his ways to his glory for the well-being of others. God has a plan for us in his world. But our thinking can get clouded and we can end up with too narrow a view of what constitutes work or of what God might intend for us in work. Work can look like all sorts of different things. It is not just paid employment. Neither Adam nor Eve receives a paycheck in Genesis chapter 1. In the midst of huge economic uncertainty at the moment with the COVID pandemic, a great many people are furloughed from work. Others are facing the pain of redundancy. There are those sheltering at home or unable to work for various reasons, those who are retired and those between jobs, those who care for children or other family members in the home, those who volunteer their time in the service of others. Many reasons why people might not be earning money. But each one of us, whoever we are, wherever we are, has the opportunity to work as the Bible would define it. That is for the good of others and the glory of God. If you're using the resources that are available to you in the context that God has put you in, in order to see others flourish, there's a very real sense in which you are fulfilling this commission. Well, it's time to draw to a close, but as I do, I want to leave you with three very quick applications, which we'll be teasing out over the coming weeks as we go on in this series. Firstly, We ought to grow a biblical imagination for God in the workplace. Too often we've created an artificial divide between the sacred space of church and the secular sphere of the world and of work. But not only does the Bible begin with a workplace commission, it's also packed with teaching for a workplace context. If we begin to see our work as God does, I wonder how we might see him at work in us and through us. Secondly, we ought to pursue flourishing with the resources and circumstances we've been given. Sometimes we can fall into the trap of working for our own fulfillment. If we are in work and things seem to be going well, we can become puffed up with our own self-importance. If we are out of work or it seems as if things are not going well, we can feel that we're lacking direction or purpose. But if we view work as God would have us do so, Our perspective and our priorities will change. Our idea of success or purpose will be defined by our obedience to his commission. It means we will see and take opportunities to do good in and through our work in the places God has put us. And thirdly, we ought to commit ourselves to a distinctive Christian witness at work. By God's common grace, his commission to work stands for everyone. But we do live in a fallen world and a great majority work for themselves as their master, not with the Lord Christ as their master. For those of us who know that this commission comes from God and know that we've been sent into the world for the sake of the good of others and the glory of God, we will work differently. We'll work with holiness and integrity. We will speak deliberately making known the God that we serve, longing for him to have glory in the world through our work. It'll mean being prayerful and bold, asking for and taking opportunities to make God less of a stranger as we seek to put him first 
in the places he has put us. And so with that in mind, let me close with a word of prayer. This is one of the Church of England's collects, the set prayers for a certain Sunday, but it's a good prayer for any day. Almighty and everlasting God, by whose spirit the whole body of the church is governed and sanctified, hear our prayer, which we offer for all your faithful people, that in their vocation and ministry they may serve you in holiness and truth to the glory of your name through our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ, who is alive and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.